0: Good morning, SBC, and a huge welcome to everybody who's joining us online for today. I just want to uh, wish you all the best for the new year, and I hope it's a phenomenally better year than it was last year. I think many people, if not all of us, were completely unprepared for 2020 when it came, but God was still so good to us, and he still certainly managed to sustain us through a really tough season. And what was really great for us to see is not only did God sustain us, but he carried on working in our church. And there were so many people who returned after that hard lockdown last year, and they had grown massively um, when they came back to us. And so what I'll be preaching on today is Christian progression. And I'll be focusing on Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And just to give you some context to to this letter that Paul wrote, uh, it was a church that Paul himself didn't actually start. It was started by his fellow workman called Epaphras, who's a bit of an unsung hero. And Epaphras goes and he visits Paul in the prison. And he explains to Paul that he started this church, that they're growing. There's a small remnant of this, um, from this Colossian town. They're faithfully growing, but there are also some issues that the Colossians are facing. And Paul is really encouraged by what he hears. Because he's stuck in prison, he's unable to see them, but he's really encouraged. And so he writes this letter to them, to tell them to carry on going firm in the faith. And to a certain degree, we also feel like Paul at the moment. We're in a bit of a lockdown. We're not able to physically see you and meet up with you, but we are also just waiting for that day when we'll finally be able to see you guys again. Jumping into our text for today, it's Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so verse 6 starts off with a therefore, which means we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it there for? And our answer is found in the previous verse, verse 5. It says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so here Paul is rejoicing to see the firmness of these Colossian believers because what has happened here is the rest of the Colossians who were not part of the church were worshipping just about anything they could get their hands on. And so for, to them, Jesus was just another one of many different things that they were trying to worship to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And we're stuck with very similar issues. We find ourselves in the same boat as these Colossians but we maybe have a different set of idols where they had uh, angels that they were worshipping and they had false gods and carved poles and a whole array of really strange things that they were worshipping. We have our own set of modern idols which we don't really like to speak about. These things like love of money, having power over certain things, or comfort, the approval of people around us, and security and control. And they also all offer us these false um, promises of lasting hope and satisfaction, but Paul knows that these things certainly will not satisfy us in the long run. And that's why he looks straight past all of those things, and he tells the Colossians then, just as he would tell us today, that that is not what we devote ourselves to. What we are to be devoting ourselves to is our faith in Christ. It is our walk with God that should be getting our attention uh, constantly. And these verses remind me so much about what happened over lockdown last year. There were so many people throughout the world who were completely shaken by corona and the chaos that that brought, but there were also people, small remnants, even here at SBC, who were growing through that lockdown. And they used that time wisely to draw closer to Christ because they knew that that was the stability that they needed in their life in that time. And I remember the first staff meeting that we had uh, after the church had reopened, and Matt came into the church Beaming, he came and he took his seat. He was smiling from ear to ear. He said, guys, it's incredible. We've still got a church. They're all still here. But more than that, they've grown through this time. In the depth of their faith and in their maturity, they have actually grown, regardless of the tough circumstances. And just like Paul, we want to encourage you to keep growing in your faith. If you are at home more and you have more time, use that time wisely. And I just want to point out that when it comes to something like salvation, that is entirely a work of God. It is up to Christ. He is the one who saves. But when it comes to our spiritual growth, and the fancy word for that is sanctification, that is something that we do in tandem with the Holy Spirit. And so we cannot have a passive attitude when it comes to our own spiritual growth. And in so many Christian circles, we have these Christian cliches, which we love. Things such as, just let go and let God Or just let Jesus live his life through you. But that is not an effective way to grow in your walk with God. And that is why throughout Scripture, we are told certain things that actually have an active element to them. We are told to run the race of faith, to fight the good fight. And that is exactly what we need to do. A great theologian called Michael Eaton, on this point of spiritual growth, says that yes, it is our fight but it is carried out in the strength that God himself provides. And so it has to be done in tandem together. And this is what we've been learning as well from our priceless series recently. From 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, there is a need to make every effort to add these things to your faith. And so there is an active component, and it's not a passive attitude when it comes to our own spiritual growth, because it is so important. Which leads me to my first point for this morning. And that is that we are to walk in Christ in the way in which we first came to him. Verse 6 is really interesting because it says, As you received Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. And so when we first come to faith in Jesus, there are so many internal changes that are taking place. We have been transformed from death to life, and there are going to be some obvious changes that take place. But Paul says that we mustn't ever lose sight of those, and we mustn't let them dwindle down and become nothing. We are to carry on walking in these changes that have now taken place. Every single time a soul is raised to life, it is always through the word of Christ. And this doesn't mean that we hear a thundering voice in heaven as we are saved. But what it does mean is that every soul that comes alive has our Savior standing behind that person, calling them to life. And I'm going to give you a few examples from Scripture this morning to demonstrate this point. Because we don't actually know exactly how many people Jesus did raise physically during his time here on earth. But it is recorded for us on at least three different occasions that he did raise people from the dead. And what I want you to to notice from these three occasions is two things. Firstly, it is always the word of Christ that is raising these people from the dead. But secondly, there is something that these newly raised, now alive people are doing. So, the first person that we are going to speak about is a little girl who's the daughter of Jairus. She had fallen ill and died. And when Jesus goes to Jairus' house, there's already a crowd of people mourning outside the house, signifying that this little girl is most certainly dead. And this is what happens in Mark chapter 5, verse 41 to 43. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and she began walking. For she was 12 years of age, And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. And so here we can see that it was at the word of Christ that this little girl was raised from the dead, but straight afterwards she needs something to eat. And the same goes for us as Christians. When we first come to faith in Christ, we need good spiritual food in order for us to grow consistently and to grow well. One of the things that Jesus charged Peter with as he was about to ascend into heaven in John chapter 21 verse 15 is he says, feed my lambs. Lambs are gentle, they're innocent, they're small, they're new to the world, but they need good spiritual food if they want to grow effectively. And that good spiritual food to us, what it looks like is us pressing into God's word on a daily basis. It's us being able to pray throughout the day and connect to God in prayer. And it's us listening to God's word being preached but then also applying it to our lives. The second account that we have of Jesus raising somebody from the dead is uh, a young man, the son of a widow. And this widow is busy watching her son being carried off to go and get uh, buried. And she's obviously mourning and very sad. And so Jesus goes, and this is what he does. In Luke chapter 7, verse 14 to 15, it says, Then he came up and he touched the bier, which is the same thing as a coffin, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And so again, we can see it was at the word of Christ that this young man who was certainly dead comes back up to life, but he begins to speak to everybody around him the moment that happens. And we can see the same phenomenon active in the life of Paul. In the book of Acts, in chapter 9, it says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, but that's not the way that that chapter ends, You look just a little bit further down in verse 20, and it says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying that he is the Son of God. And so here we have a certainly radical individual who is willing to persecute, imprison, and even kill Christians. And the moment Christ calls him to life, he goes straight to the synagogues where he knows there's loads of Jews, and he preaches the gospel there. He says, Jesus is the Son of God. And this is exactly what we'd expect to see if we took Jesus' words literally from John chapter 7, verse 38. He says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And rivers of living water cannot be hidden. And so once this huge transformation takes place in our life, the natural overflow of that is that we begin to speak to the people around us about what has happened in our life. Charles Spurgeon once said, Every converted man is to teach what he knows to be true. All those who have drunk of the living water are to become fountains out of which shall flow rivers of living water. And I think some people like the idea that it's just the pastor's job to go and spread the gospel or to make disciples or to counsel people. But we believe in every member ministry. And what that means is that we each have our own part to play in the Great Commission. And we each need to to play our part. And unfortunately, we live in a, in a culture which seems to be allergic to the truth. And so there's so many people who so desperately need to hear the gospel, but they will never walk through those doors at the back of the church. But they will share supper with a friend. And they will meet up with people to discuss life together. Be those people. Use your time wisely around people who don't yet know Christ. And the people who come and attend our church services or watch online, you guys are able to mix with so many more people than we are able to reach on one Sunday in our services. As important as this is, it is also important that the congregation shares their faith. Do not be afraid to speak about everything that God has done for you. The third account that we have of Jesus raising somebody from the dead is of his friend Lazarus, who was dead for about four days. And this certainly also shows the deity of Christ, not only that he can raise people from the dead, but that he can raise people who have been dead for four days. People told him, don't go into that tomb. There's going to be a smell by now. He's going to be rotting. But Jesus doesn't listen. This is what he does. John chapter 11 verse 43 to 44 says, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And so as soon as Lazarus came out to life, he had to take off his grave clothes and leave them behind in the tomb. And that's exactly what we need to do as well as Christians. When we come to life, there is a need for us to take our past sinful habits that have plagued our life for long enough, and we leave them in the tomb. We leave them behind us. Paul tells us the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, "...to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires." And so we are to take and put off these past practices. But, as I'm sure you can imagine, Lazarus was not a crazy person. He didn't live naked for the rest of his life. And so he probably rushed home as soon as he could to to clothe himself appropriately. And the good news is that we are also called to clothe ourselves appropriately. Not only to put off off the whole time, but Ephesians chapter 4 goes on in verse 23 and 24 to say, And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in in true righteousness and holiness. And so there's a need for us to put on as well this righteousness that Christ has provided for us. And the reason why each of us starts off in these grave clothes to begin with is because of our own sins and transgressions. We've all rebelled against God. We've all fallen short of his glory. And so we are all standing before him in grave clothes. But the good news is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will not stand before him naked and ashamed one day. You will not stand there in your grave clothes and you will not stand there naked. And the reason why is because Christ went and he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. Absolutely sinless. And then he went to the cross and he bore the cross on our behalf. He took the punishment that we should have got. And he died on that cross and he was raised back to life. Showing that he was absolutely victorious over both sin and death. But he then gives us that righteousness that he had with God the Father. And so one day when we stand before God, if our faith is in Jesus and in that atoning sacrifice, we will be wearing his robe of righteousness. We will be clothed. And what this now means for us is that we begin to understand our new identity in Christ, that we are blood-bought sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted into his family at such a tremendous price. But with this privilege that God gives to us, there's also some responsibility that follows. And that is why earlier on in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 10, it says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, and bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so in each of these three cases, it was the word of Christ that raised these three people from the dead. But it was shortly followed by something that these newly raised people were doing. The daughter needed to eat good food, and so do we. The young man sat up and he began to speak to people around him. And so do we. And Lazarus took off his grave clothes and left them behind in the tomb. And he clothed himself appropriately. And so do we. Returning to verse 6 though, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so when the Bible is speaking about the way in which we first came to Christ, it's not just speaking about good spiritual disciplines, such as eating and speaking and throwing off past habits. It is also speaking very plainly about the enthusiasm and the zeal that we have when we first come to Christ. The fact that we are filled with joy and excitement when we first learn about everything that we've gained in Christ. That we have been saved for all eternity. That we now get to enjoy this relationship that we have with God the Father. And I remember when I first became a Christian at the age of 19. And straight away I began attending and serving at my local church. And I just could not do enough. I was looking for things to do for Jesus. And while I was at this church, there was an elderly lady who came to me and she said, you're very passionate for the Lord, but how long have you really been a Christian? And I said, ma'am, I've been a Christian for almost a whole year. I was so enthusiastic. And she said, oh, okay. Well, my dear, that that makes sense. You know, you'll you'll see. You'll settle down just like the rest of us. Um, It's very exciting at first, but you'll end up settling down. Don't let that give you a shock. And I didn't like what I was hearing. I didn't agree with what she was saying. And so in my disturbed state, I turned to the Bible and I was going through and finding as many uh, bits of evidence against what she was saying as possible. And the good news is that there is no evidence for what she was saying, but so much to back up the opposite. And so if we look at the life of Christ, we can see that he became more and more radical the closer that cross came. His harshest rebukes towards the Pharisees came just hours before the cross. Some of his biggest encouragements towards his own disciples came hours before the cross. And if we go and we look at the life of the disciples, we can see a very similar thing that is happening here. For the disciples, in the book of Acts, they are preaching the gospel so much that they get hauled in front of a court and they get told, you better stop preaching the gospel or else we're going to do something to you. And do they stop? No. They were probably a little bit afraid, and so they meet up and they pray, have a prayer meeting behind closed doors. And they say, "God, will you please give us boldness and courage so that we can carry on preaching the gospel?" And they do. And they go out and they carry on preaching the gospel. They get hauled back in front of the same court for preaching the gospel, and they get beaten and whipped for what they have now done. And how do they react to, to the situation? Do they stop preaching the gospel? Do they start settling down and letting that initial excitement just wear off? Of course not. It says that they left that place rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And if we just fast forward a few years, we see that every single one of those disciples are martyred, killed for their faith because they could not stop preaching the gospel. And the only one who is an exception to that rule is John, who was boiled alive in oil and then exiled to the island of Patmos, where he couldn't... Apparently, reach anybody, but even there, God gives him revelation and continues to use him there. And don't you think that people like the disciples, who were so close to Christ and who were willing to die for what they believed in, would have had such a vibrant and living relationship with Jesus? Of course, yes. So, is there any reason given from Scripture for us to believe that we should shrink away from Christ, or that as we Um, grow in the length of years that we've been a Christian, we just let our faith slowly dwindle away and get comfortable? No, absolutely not. And that is why it tells us so clearly in our first verse for today, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And so our walk with God should not in any way become less vibrant as we age, and the length of time that we've been a Christian should not make us less devoted, less faithful, and less loving, Instead, if anything, it should do the opposite. And that's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And I know that we find ourselves in a really tricky season at the moment, which is why we're all joining online, apart from the staff members in the building. But the fact that you're still joining us online and you're hearing God's word being preached shows that you're wanting to apply this to your life. You're wanting to grow in your walk with God. And that is a good thing because over time we should be growing more and more fruitful in our lives. Don't you think it would be so weird if we went and we planted an apple tree in our backyard and about one week later it produces these big, delicious, juicy apples. But then for the next 20 years Absolutely no fruit. just takes up space in the garden. We would look at that and we would say, that's not normal. That's certainly not the way that it should be. A tree grows more the more it sinks its roots deep into fertile soil. And it brings up the water and the nutrients that it needs to grow. And as it grows bigger and stronger, it is able to withstand the harshest of storms that life has to throw at it. And it continues to produce delicious fruit, tasting gradually better the bigger this tree grows. So don't you think that our walk with God should look the same? That as we spend time uh, learning more about who God is and enjoying our relationship with Him and digging into God's Word, that we would sink roots deep into Christ and produce good spiritual fruit in our life. Which leads me to my second point for today. Are you rooted and built up in Christ? Returning to our passage today, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so being rooted in Christ also means that He never leaves us. Regardless of the really tough season that we find ourselves in at the moment, Christ travels with us because we are rooted in Him. And what that means for us is that if we have massive salary cuts over this time, or, lo and behold, we lose our jobs, if family members get sick or we aren't able to see them, through all of these tough times, the very essence of our being is still rooted in Christ. And that has not changed. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus promises that we will actually endure trials and tribulations and tough times down here on earth. But what he also promises us is that for the Christian, there is a never-ending mine of peace that is grounded in Christ. And have you experienced that peace that is on offer to those who believe in Christ? Because being rooted and built up in Christ leads to faithful witnessing for Christ. The world isn't looking at us in our best times to see if what we are holding to actually has some substance. It is when your metal is really being tested, when your back is up against the wall, that is when all eyes are on you. And they are waiting to see if what you believe is actually real. In Acts, even the death of Stephen was a powerful witness to to those who were busy killing him. He wasn't hurling bitterness and curses and insults against those people. It says that he looked up and he forgave them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen was rooted and built up in Christ. Even through the toughest time in his life, he was able to still shine his light to those people who were busy killing him. You'll notice that in the life of the apostles... Their prayers in secret that I mentioned earlier, soon afterwards led to outward witnessing to everybody else. And so to them, being rooted and built up in Christ meant that they had stability in those tough times, and they carried on consistently witnessing to people around around them. I used to be a student pilot studying just outside Port Alfred before I was called into the ministry. And I had a Muslim friend by the name of Abdul when I was there, and he often used to come and ask me questions And one particular day, Abdul came and he wanted to know more about the person of Jesus and who Jesus himself claimed to be, the Son of God. And I was answering Abdul's questions, but I could see that he was becoming more and more flustered and volatile as I was answering. But I answered calmly. But very quickly, Abdul reached for a knife that was lying next to my bed, which I had cut up some fruit with. And he took the knife and he put it to my throat and he said, You know what, Bryce? I can kill you. I can kill you right now. Not because I'm a brave person or because I can handle everything that is thrown at me. Uh, I felt God's peace in that moment like I cannot describe. And I said to Abdul, I know exactly where I'm going. It's probably not the response that either of us was expecting. Abdul dropped the knife and he ran straight to his room. But the next morning at six o'clock in the morning, Abdul came knocking. I was trying to sleep. But Abdul knocked persistently and he came in. He said, Bryce, I'm really sorry for the way that I reacted yesterday. I shouldn't have done that. But the reason why I did that is because you have something that is different and I have to know what that is. And he says, I'm, not, I'm hoping that it's not because you have a relationship with Jesus. But even if it is, I have to hear more and I want to know about why you are different. And you see, in that moment, it was not because I'm a brave person. Normal brass, apart from having God's hand (laughs) firmly placed over my life, would have had to change his pants after an ordeal like that. But in that moment, God came through and he gave me supernatural peace that I cannot describe. Being rooted and built up in Christ over time leads to us having a stability in our own beliefs and convictions that will not leave us during those tough times. And Christ has promised that as we witness and as we go out and we make disciples, um, he will always be with us. Another thing that helps us to be rooted and built up in Christ is fellowship. We cannot constantly be drawing closer to Christ without ever being drawn closer to the body of Christ as well. And so we don't burn brightly for Christ behind closed doors and then not have anything to do with other Christians. We need each other as iron sharpens iron. I'm sure we all know from our Saturday and Sunday bras that even the hottest of coals in the heart of that fire, the moment it falls out onto the ground, it'll soon grow cold and die and then be worthless to us. And so we need to make sure that we find ourselves in the body of Christ. Get involved as soon as the church opens up. Every member of a normal body needs blood constantly pumped to it as well. And us being part of the body of Christ are no different. And so we need to stay connected to the heartbeat of the church. A guy by the name of Charles Swindle has a very interesting take on Christian community. He says that often we are like porcupines on a cold night. And so he says, we know that it's cold, and so we begin to come closer to each other because we want to stay warm. But the moment we get to a certain point, and we don't want to really get closer to each other, it's just like these porcupines accidentally stabbing each other and hurting one another. And the result is that we scatter, and then we soon remember after that that it is still a cold night, and that we need each other, and so we go back only to hurt each other once more. And a poem that demonstrates this point quite well says, to dwell above with saints we love, that will be grace and glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, that's another story. And I think we do have this idyllic view of, yes, heaven's going to be amazing, we're going to get along with everyone, fellowship's going to be amazing there. And you're probably right, that is true. But Jesus' prayer in John 17, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, is showing that God actually wants that sort of fellowship for us in His church now. We need to love each other and love God so much that that love overlooks our small little differences. We need to stop hurting each other with our pride and with our sinful attitudes. Put them away. My third point for today is that we ought to be abounding in thanksgiving. Our verse uh, verse 7 says, "...rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith." just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. But why? What is it that we are to be so thankful for in this verse? Because Paul doesn't just say, I will say thank you or be grateful. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. It is a present continuous thing that is going on. And if we look earlier in the verse, it says, rooted and built up in him. But in the Greek word, that word rooted is a perfect participle in the passive tense, and I'm going to explain just very briefly what that means for us. A perfect participle means that there was a completed action that took place, but now we have ongoing results from this action that took place. And in speaking about the fact, it's speaking about the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He redeemed us. He rooted us in Himself, and because of that, we get to enjoy the ongoing results of being rooted in his family. We enjoy being part of God's family. And the passive tense means that this is something that was passively done to us. In that whole process of us being rooted in God's family, our our part to play was passive there. That was all of God working. You see, before that, we were like a dead branch, tossed aside, left on the ground to die, left to ourselves. But God, in his incredible grace and his mercy, sees us and he picks us up and he grafts us into the true vine of Christ. And if we look just a little bit earlier in the book of Colossians, Paul explains this to us really well. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, But he, speaking about God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness as he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so just from those two verses, who was it that was doing the transferring? Who was the one that was doing the redeeming? Who was delivering us from this domain of darkness? It was God. It was all God. And we had a passive part to play in that process. So our active part in this whole process that is taking place is to continually abound in thanksgiving towards Christ for all that he has done for us. Abounding in thanksgiving also isn't just done in praise and in speaking with our words. It is shown in our lifestyle. And so there is an incredible joy found only in Christ for Christians when we are doing exactly what God has created us to do. Things which prior to our conversion we probably would never have enjoyed. We now have the privilege of participating in other people's journeys with God. And there are certain things that God rewards us for, even though He's the one who has first enabled us to do them. And He then fills us with His Spirit and empowers us to carry them out. Things like spreading the gospel to our friends and family, growing in this relationship that we get to enjoy with God, feeding the poor, counseling the broken. And God doesn't intend for us to just endure those things or to wearily trudge our way through doing the things that He's called us to do. He gives us incredible joy as we carry out the work that He has set for us. And not only joy... He supplies the strength and the wisdom that is necessary for us to carry out these tasks. He is the one who gives us the right words at the appropriate time. And for that, we are to continually abound in thanksgiving towards God. He has done it all. And as I close off, I just want to remind you about some of the practical steps that we looked at today and how we can apply this message to our lives. And to do that, I just want to take one final look at the text for this morning. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And in speaking about the way in which we received Christ Jesus the Lord and the way that we are to carry on walking in him, we looked at three main responses. We looked at the need for eating or finding good spiritual food. We looked at speaking about everything that God has done for us. And so now that we have tasted and seen that he, he is good, we are to go and share this with other people. And then we also looked at taking off our grave clothes. Not only putting off our past sinful ways, but also now putting on the robe of righteousness that Christ has provided for us. Our second verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so here we learned that time spent in the rich, fertile soil of Christ leads to us putting our roots further into him and being built upright in Christ. The longer we have been in Christ, the more this fruit should be evident in our lives. And all examples from scripture that we can see from Christ and from his disciples point to us having a mission down here on earth which is ever increasing in urgency. We are to carry on walking in these ways that God has first started when we came to faith in Christ. And this also doesn't negate that we do occasionally backslide, that we do have some Massive curveballs that are thrown at us, some of them lasting a year long apparently. But even through those times, as we've recently been learning from our priceless series, God has always provided everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And that is because he has provided himself for us. He walks these roads with us and he does not leave us on our own. So don't waste a good crisis put your best foot forward, draw closer to Christ during these tough times and regardless of this lockdown, it might not be the last, use that time wisely to devote yourself to what really counts and that is your faith in Christ. Handing over to Jonah for response time.
1: At home, if you uh, wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and uh, closing your eyes, Uh, we're just going to we don't want to rush. We've heard what God has been saying to us this morning, and uh, we just want to respond to that. So if you could just do that, and while you do that, w- why, what is the one thing that God has been saying to you this morning that you need to respond to? Has it, has it been the idea of being walking in Him as you once, uh, when you once did? Is do you need to refeed yourself again, diving into His words, spending more time praying? Has it been, you need to share your faith? Is there someone that God's laid on your heart? A family member, a colleague that you need to share your faith with? Or Maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to cast off and put on some clean clothes. What is Has, it been, has the Holy Spirit been touching on something in you that you need to change? Or maybe you need to be rooted in Christ again. Get those grow. You've Lost that enthusiasm like that old lady Bryce spoke about. Maybe you just need to know that you are rooted in him and he holds you. Maybe this morning you've just got something in your heart that you just need to thank him for. What is it? Just take a moment to do that. Father, I pray that you would stir in each and every single one of us an enthusiasm for Christ, that, Lord, we would not become a light that is bright, that grows dim, but rather that we would grow brighter and brighter, that we would be the light of the world, a bright light, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, that in in the moments of difficulty and challenge, as the world's eyes are on us and our backs are against the wall, that they would see the love of Christ and enthusiasm for you, that they would see uh, exactly what we hold to to be true. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us who have heard this word this morning, that you would help us to walk in the way in which we were once called, that you would uh, build us and uh, uh, rebuild us again, and that we would be established in you, rooted in you, and that we would live a life of thanksgiving. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue on worshiping this morning. I'm going to hand over to Caitlin, who's going to lead us in that, and we will continue. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we can delight in you and know you and enjoy you. You are so good to us. What greater gift that we have received than to receive the son of God himself. To know you, to be a child of God. What What a wonderful, wonderful privilege that is. Our Lord, as we go into this week, would you stir up a deep, deep desire in our heart for more of Jesus? That we would love you and serve you and seek you. That we would give our whole hearts to you, every fiber of who we are. May we live for you, we pray. And Lord, if we have wondered, if we have forgotten about what you have done for us, we pray, Lord, that you would stir in us a deep, deep passion for Jesus, a love for him yet again. That you would fix our eyes on you, Lord so good to us as far as the east is from the west so you have removed us and so your grace is sufficient oh Lord we love you and we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus name, Amen thank you so much for joining us online, remember that next week we're still not meeting in person uh, but we'll be here again 8 o'clock for another live service like this hope you're doing well, stay safe